Remember, you can get in touch with our fearsome foursome by emailing clubdubpodcast at mail.com and through Twitter using the hashtag at clubdubpodcast. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast. Where the only question is Does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Hi, I'm Rob Rose, and thanks for listening to the Club Dub Football Podcast. This is the third in our trilogy of shows relating to the upcoming NFL Draft. In the first of the three, we focused on the quarterback prospects. Last week, it was all about the other pieces that might be picked up on offense, which means that this week we turn our attention to defense. And if the old adage is true that defense wins championships, there's many teams with picks deep into the first round who'll be excited at the type of talent that's slated to still be available. So we'll take you through the top draft prospects, give you an idea as to where we think they might land and what type of impact they could have. So with so much to talk about, let's throw over to JB, PB and Aldrin and get on with the show. We can get as excited as we want to get. And we can slam our heads against the wall or we can settle down and just go play football. So hi, gents. Hello, hello. It's the third hi, of a trilogy. It's got a certain feel to it. And we're going to go through defensive prospects this week. But before we do, shall we do um, our really around the league news update, although it, it does have the feel of a slow news week with only a couple of exceptions. And firstly, we gave Julian Edelman um, his send off. Um, this one probably a bit more bittersweet and, and bizarrely probably a little more unexpected after all of the battles he'd gone through. But Alex Smith, um, having made all the effort to come back into the league, um, has obviously decided that the stellar career he's had um, is enough and his physical state isn't such that he feels he would want to carry on. Um, I disagree with that. I think because he said at the end of the season he still wanted to play. So I think it's out of almost out of necessity that he's retired. I think there's just no market for him. There's no. So, so to jump in immediately, I think the market doesn't come for someone like Alex Smith until someone's starter goes down, really. Uh, I think it was the same for him last season. He didn't start last season as a starter. I think maybe it is that. Maybe he was hoping that there was a greater market for him than he was. But I think if he sticks it out, you've got to imagine Alex Smith has at least the chance of taking snaps somewhere next season. One of the things about Alex Smith, I mean, at least we are talking about a guy who had the comeback he had. Um, but we also shouldn't forget this guy has had a good career. You know, at the 49ers and Chiefs, he's been on very talented winning teams. If I throw over to, well, well Phil, let's, let's, you know, throw it straight back to you. What are your thoughts on Alex Smith going and what do you think he will be remembered for outside of the injury that's probably still etched on every football fan's mind? I don't know. It's hard, it's hard push to think of him being remembered for anything else than that, you know, right now. I think that was such a major you know, such a major news story. You know, they've done the, the ESPN documentary on it. I think that's just going to be any mention of him in the future. It's, it's going to be, you know, mentioning the injury and the comeback. And it's good, you know, I'm glad that he was able to come back and kind of drive Washington to the playoffs because, you know, it's it's a positive end to that story, I'd say, in, in that chapter. But I think every NFL fan held their breath for every snap that 
Alex Smith took last year. So I think, you know, it's, I think it's probably the safest option and will make for an easier view. Yeah, I think you mentioned something there that, you know, let's hope it's not forgotten over time. The fact he took a Washington team to the playoffs. I mean, one of the historically worst divisions of all time, but nevertheless, you know, some amazing wins in that final season. I think up at Heinz Field is is always the one that stands out for me. So thinking about what Phil has just said around, like I did, you identify Alex Smith now for the injury and the comeback. And I think it's almost a disservice to say it, but I think if that injury doesn't happen, I think to most people, Alex Smith is remembered as the number one picked quarterback in the draft when the San Francisco 49ers could have taken Aaron Rodgers. And I think it's just such an incredible disservice to, to a guy who really did well. Like we talk and we talk a lot about game manager as a tag for a quarterback and you wouldn't really describe Alex Smith as anything else, but I don't think of that in kind of the negative kind of way. And you look at Alex Smith quarterbacked teams as efficient teams for all that we talk about how successful and a revelation Patrick Mahomes has been for the chiefs that last season when they had all of the same pieces, but they had Alex Smith, the chiefs were still bombs away and the chiefs were still putting up a lot of points that almost prototype for what they would become was that last season with him. And I think if it wasn't for the injury, I think a team putting that kind of cast around him could still produce those same kind of results. I think the point to pick up from yours, JB, um, is you're absolutely right. I think the 49ers time can't be overlooked. He certainly wasn't any form of draft bust. Was he, you know, even going as high as he was, he, he had a good career. But that year with the Chiefs, I have a very distinct memory of them getting to the end of that season and then, you know, pretty quickly announcing that ultimately, you know, they were going to be changing starting quarterback for the following year. And after the season Alex Smith had had, that was surprising. You know, obviously the Chiefs knew what they were sitting on and and what kind of talent they had in Patrick Mahomes. But you're absolutely right. That was a guy who'd come off, you know, statistically and, and it felt like a real almost breakout season um, for Smith at that point. Yeah, I just think it was a little bit of a shame. We never really got to see the best of Alex Smith in Washington. I just think that was a a shame to end his career that way. I know I I think we're all in agreement that it was great to see him back last year and be able to come back and just be on the field was phenomenal. But I do think you're right. You know, when he left the Chiefs, he was still playing at a really high level. Um, There was no kind of drop off. He went into Washington and, and still looked pretty good. You know, he was um, he was playing well until he got that injury. So, yeah, for me, I just think it's a little bit of a shame because maybe like Phil says, he probably will be remembered for that injury and the subsequent comeback. But I think, you know, you shouldn't forget how good a football player he was, how good a quarterback he was. And, you know, I think testament to him that even basically on one leg last year for a lot of the time in terms of his mobility, he still managed to get a heck of a number of wins for the games that he played and drive them, you know, to a playoff berth. So yeah, I I think it's just a little bit of a shame that that we never got to see what he could have been, you know, players, particularly quarterbacks now are going into age 36, 37, 38 seasons and still looking at five more years of top quality football ahead of them. So I think without that injury, Alex Smith would have absolutely been one of those players. So just a bit of a shame, but I think, 
it was great to see him be able to go out on his own terms, I guess. And I think that's maybe where he decides to leave the league now, you know, having been a starter and being able to come back from the injury and then call it quits on his terms is, is nice. I think. Well, I think the important thing to consider there as well is when Andy Reid moved to Kansas city, they specifically went and got Alex Smith from the 49ers because Reid saw something in Smith that he wanted to work with. And in the wake of the Alex Smith retirement announcement, Andy Reid sort of come out and said, yeah, yeah, I think he'll he'll move into coaching. I think he'll be really good. And essentially said, and when he does move into coaching, I have dibs. If Andy Reid says this guy's going to be a really good coach, this guy's going to be a really good coach. And maybe that's it. I mean, coach or, you know, there might be an offer to head into a booth somewhere. I mean, one of the things I got from from how much TV time um, Alex Smith had recently is just how well he speaks and just how well he speaks about the game. And yeah, let, let's hope actually that, you know, we're talking about Alex Smith in the rearview mirror. Maybe his legacy isn't written yet. Maybe as a coach, a broadcaster, someone who contributes to football in some way, there could yet be a, a, a pretty exciting finale for Alex Smith. So um, we salute him much like we did Julian Edelman a week before. Um, thank you for all the entertaining time. And um, wishing him all the best. So the second piece of news is someone who's not going anywhere. Um, Maybe slightly surprisingly, but the extension to the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers for Mike Tomlin, if you can call it an extension, three years feels in in an awkward middle ground for a man that, I don't know, I maybe thought they would be giving the keys to rebuild the organization post Roethlisberger. But rather than me talk about the Steelers, JB, you're our resident expert. So what do you make of the three years given to Mike Tomlin this week? I think it sums up potentially like the the conundrum or the enigma that Mike Tomlin is. He is a coach who has never had a losing season, which when you say it like that is a great stat. However, there have been quite a few eight and eights in there that came out as eight and eight in the very last game of the season he has a Super Bowl. You know, he led the the Steelers to that amazing victory um, against the Cardinals, which we won't dwell on too much. But that was a couple of years after Bill Cower had retired. And the talk even then was, has Mike Tomlin just done good things with Bill Cower's team? And since then, obviously, they made the Super Bowl again and lost to the Aaron Rodgers-led Green Bay Packers, which isn't, you know, that's not like losing to to Billy and his group of jobbers. That's losing to arguably the best in the world at that position, especially at that time. But they've never been back since, and there is always that element of the Steelers playing down to the level of competition that they have and going into games in the regular season and in the playoffs and not putting in the level of effort they need to do. And there have been a lot of Steelers losses that have come out of games that they should have absolutely walked. They're giving him this to be like, okay, let's give him the opportunity to start the rebuild and see what we do. And in sort of three, four years, you know, when we get to the 2024 season we might be talking about the the 10-year extension the Steelers have just signed with Mike Tomlin because they've just won the Super Bowl back to back a guy can dream um I think it's it's incredibly interesting as a time to be a Steelers fan because there is so much 
in the air with the quarterback position, with the head coach position, and potentially with the general manager position as well. Because Kevin Colbert has talked about how he's kind of linked to Tomlin, he's linked to Roethlisberger. When they go, he'll go. So it's a weird one, the Steelers, isn't it? I mean, the comments about Ro- about Roethlisberger even before they re-signed him was, you know, when they were calling on him, the the move was very much, you know, the movement seemed very much towards Roethlisberger, you know, either retiring or leaving. They said, we still believe Roethlisberger can do good things. And it, it felt like, you know, damning by faint praise almost. So so to kind of take your point, I don't think Tomlin, or at least not for me, is seen like a George Seifert kind of character when he took over at the 49ers. You know, I think Tomlin gets credit for what he did, you know, post Bill Cower, at least from most. But is the problem not more that he had at times what people would say is the best roster in the NFL? you know, uh, a roster full of superstars. Was one Super Bowl enough for the talent he had over the last 10 years or so? And do you think that factors into the Steelers' decision-making at all? Kind of, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I guess, less high on Tomlin than a lot of people are. I, I, I kind of feel like the last few years have been disappointing. And like, kind of like James says, you know, he's not failed to have a winning season. So, you know, there's those positives, but I do feel like maybe the last couple of years with the roster that they've had, they could have gone further than they have. And uh, I, I don't necessarily feel they've certainly aspects like the run game have massively gone backwards. I know that that's not necessarily a hundred percent on him because the personnel just haven't really been there, but you know, there's a lot of those things that I just think they could be doing better than they are. So three years kind of feels like where I would pitch it in the sense that I think you trust Tomlin enough that he's going to, um, going to win games and, and do well for the Steelers. But I do think, you know, you give yourself enough wiggle room there to go, well, if it's not going the way we hope it goes post Ben and whoever that might be, then we've maybe gotten out to start afresh and bring in a new coach who might bring in a new quarterback. So I think it maybe gives them that little wiggle room that, maybe suggests while they trust him right now, he's still got to, I think he's got to up his game a little bit and kick on really. That's kind of what it feels like to me. Yeah. The Steelers as an organization don't really make like snap rash decisions around, especially like coaching staff. I saw the stat that said, if Tomlin lasts until the end of this extension, then the Steelers will have had three head coaches over a 55-year period. And when you consider that what the Browns had probably five head coaches across five years, not wanting to pick on the Browns specifically, but that's it's the obvious thing. There is an incredible stability in there. I don't necessarily think they're wavering on Tomlin. I still think Tomlin is one of the best coaches in the league and I would absolutely not replace him unless there was someone very special available, but it kind of gets to it being a results league and yeah, is one Super Bowl in this period of time enough? It's, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, what everybody wants to win the Super Bowl, but only one team out of 32 can win the Super Bowl each year, so is making the playoffs enough in which case he's, he's solidly made the playoffs apart from what, what one year, two years, something like that over, over his, his tenure. You know, if, if he has a successful year this year and then the next year looks good, could he then be extended again? You know, who knows? I don't think it's long ago that we were all, you know, was it 
the season before last when they didn't make the playoffs and we thought, oh, you know, maybe Tom Lynch would go. And then they started off last year, you know, is, is the longest unbeaten team. So it's, yeah, it's a tricky one. I think he's a good coach. I think if, if the Steelers were to cut him loose, if he still had that, you know, desire and that hunger, then I think he would quickly pick a job job up somewhere else. So, so yeah, they've not made the jump, you know, to, to, to win more Super Bowls than just that one. But I think he's a, a really good coach and, and, you know, it's probably a good extension, good extension for him, good one for the team as well. But I, I don't know, maybe I'm outside looking in and not as close to this as you, JB, but I think he probably goes into this season with probably the weakest roster in a while. I mean, uh, I, I don't know, I, I think of part of the judgment on Tomlin being that he's had a great roster of players to work with. There are, of course, some really talented players on that Steelers roster, you know, the TJ Watts, Roethlisberger, like you say, I don't think he's finished yet. But it, it doesn't quite have the feel of, of teams of old, does it? But um, but we'll see. Well, I think there's one there's one other interesting piece of news that I'd like to take your thoughts on, Rob. And that's the rumours that have come out over the last couple of days that the Cardinals would trade up to take a, a wide receiver, which I find crazy considering the fact that they've, you know, last year they traded for Hopkins. They've signed AJ Green this year. Who knows what's happening with Fitz? They've got Christian Kirk. Mm. You know, they've, they've got a deep wide receiver room. So I don't, I don't understand the logic in trading up for a receiver if that is going to be the case. So it's interesting, you know, as a fan to to get your thoughts on that. I, th- I think there's the, the first thing is let's start with your point, which I think is spot on. I mean, that is a, a deep wide receiver room from a fan's point of view, because you could mention probably Andy Isabella and Keyshawn Johnson that I would expect to take, you know, to, to be on the field quite a lot next season. I mean, you've got a head coach there and an offensive strategy that means, look, it's not unusual to have five wide receivers on the field. It seems odd to me. If you were saying to me that all the noise was that we were going up for, for say, pits and tight end, that makes a bit more sense. But I mean, also, maybe they know something about Larry Fitzgerald that the rest of the world doesn't. I'd, I'd be amazed. I mean, it makes no sense to me at all. Um particularly when we seem to have pronounced gaps elsewhere. But I will say this, I mean, you know, we we said it a few episodes ago about Dave Gettleman at, at the Giants taking Daniel Jones and, and all the noise the fans made and how disgruntled they were. Ultimately, I think if you're a GM and you really, really believe in a player, go get them. You know, I've, I've, no, I've no issue with the attitude being, yeah. you know, go get that player, go get that talent. Who knows? I mean, a lot of people have got the Cardinals trading up, and I'd be surprised even at that. I think to trade up from where we are, you're giving away next next season's first round pick. I think if you're looking at, and we're going to come on to this, obviously, but I think ultimately the need says cornerback. And with three, maybe even four good cornerbacks in the first round, you'd think we're in a good position for that. Um, but again, I come back to it. I've, I'd, I, I would never mind a general manager with with everything that goes on with being a general manager and the hits you need to make to keep yourself in a job. If there's someone they are set on and they absolutely love them, go get them. The only thing I will say, Phil, is I don't think we move up for a wide receiver. I think we move up for an individual. For me, I don't think we trade up just to get a wide receiver. I think they've got to have somebody in mind and a somebody that they really want. Makes sense. Interesting. Thanks, Rob. Always a pleasure. Never a chore, sir. So we're on to our defensive prospects draft roundup. And on the one hand, I was um, looking at the draft prospects that come around this year and was kind of stuck on a comment you'd made over the last couple of weeks, Aldrin, about how many teams in last year's draft went defense early. 
you know, the number of defensive picks that we saw in the first and into the early part of the second round suggested there are a lot of teams that prioritized defense. Now, the draft is always a bit misleading because top 10, you're always going to have quarterbacks in there. You know, the, the best in the pool of quarterbacks are going to find themselves picked there. And actually, there are a lot of mock drafts that don't have a single defensive player going from picks one through 10, even one through 12. But then there is an awful lot of defensive talent um, out there and an awful lot of good teams that are thinking if we can pick one of these defensive stars, we can make ourselves an awful lot better pretty quickly. So if I throw over to you first, my question would be, who of the defensive prospects in the draft do you see going first? And where do you think makes sense? Where do you think they fit best? I think all of the the talk is around like Micah Parsons. And I think he's probably the best defensive player in, in this draft. But I'm going to let JB talk about him because I'm going to steal his other talking point. And I think Patrick Sertain is going to be the first defensive player off the board. You mentioned there's probably three or four top prospects at cornerback but I don't think it doesn't feel like an awful lot beyond that you know kind of like we've talked about at some positions like tight end and and stuff in the offensive discussions I don't think there's a whole lot of players and I think cornerback feels like um has the most need but also probably has a pl- one player particularly certain being the guy that that goes because he's so talented I'm I'm not a hundred percent on where he goes Simply because I I don't know. I feel like there's so many teams that could trade up. But I think if you go off the current order, maybe Detroit, a team that needs a cornerback after they they lost big play Slay, what was it last year when he went to Philly? You know, probably them. If he falls, he goes at 10 to Dallas. And I think if Dallas don't pick a cornerback, they're absolutely bonkers. In terms of him as a player, I just think his technique is so good. And I think... You bear in mind, so his dad was um, Patrick Sertain, the first, obviously like an 11-year NFL veteran at cornerback. So, you know, I think he comes with that pedigree, but his technique, his footwork is great. I think he's he's got a great back pedal. He doesn't commit too early to turning his hips, all that kind of stuff that I just think you look at a top-level NFL corner, I think he fits the bill for all of that. And I think he's just... I said it before a little bit stingy. He, he doesn't give up a lot. I don't think he's picked off as many passes as uh, Caleb Farley last year, but then there's injury concerns around him. And I think that's where the risk comes in. Whereas Satane feels like a sure thing, plug and play player. First day of the season, he's going to be a shutdown corner. So that's kind of why I feel like he's the guy. Okay. I mean, I think Detroit makes sense. The the only point I would make really briefly is of all the potential stories of teams trading up, the only thing I have to keep in mind is they need somebody to trade up with. And I think Detroit probably for me feels like one of the most likely places. We've already talked about the fact that they're you know, collecting these picks as part of the the quarterback trade that obviously saw Matthew Stafford go. I think I can see the Lions trading down in a way I can't see others. Um, and I think uh, the funny thing is, I think that the only thing that really changes if the Lions do trade down is probably the name of cornerback they take. I, I'm with you. I think cornerback feels like a, a real area of need. Um, I'm also with you. I think the Cowboys actually feels like a, a, a really good fit on both sides of that, doesn't it? Goes into a team where I think he absolutely makes them better quickly. I agree that Patrick Sertain will be one of the first defensive players drafted. 
Um, and yeah, I think I think him going to the Cowboys makes absolute sense. Um, I think it will improve the team, and it's kind of the big flashy player pick that that Jerry loves to make. He wouldn't be the first defensive player that I would pick, though. And Aldrin's kind of mentioned it, but yeah, I would absolutely be taking Micah Parsons. The saying that's touted by um, several NFL-related people being the most important player on your team is your quarterback, and the second most important player on your team is your backup quarterback. And I disagree with that. I think the two most important players on your team are your leaders. And back is your leader on offense, then Micah Parsons is going to be your leader on defense. He is touted by several as the best like linebacker prospect that there's been in the draft in absolute years you see comparisons ranging from Devon White who we saw what an impact he had especially in the Super Bowl kind of in that Bucks defense to Luke Keekley and Luke Keekley with a career that was cut way too short but every time he was on the field like he had such a nose for the ball he knew not only where he was and where he needed to go but where everyone else needed to go you need someone right there in the center getting everybody lined up making sure people are in the right place and making sure people are fired up and ready to go you look at like Richard Sherman when he was at the Seahawks going back Mike Singletary when we were at the when we're talking about the 85 Bears kind of that engine that drove everything forward and Parsons will give you that I think teams might go for certain rather than him first primarily because he didn't play last season but in the final game of the season that he played and his last game as a college football player it was the cotton bowl and he recorded 14 tackles two sacks and two forced fumbles that is a guy that knows exactly what he needs to do where he's gonna go i mean anyone could pick him and you're gonna make your team better this is like you wouldn't put that like the talking about the lions making sense to go for certain if the lions took parsons that makes sense if the bengals took him at five that would make sense if the vikings took him at 14 the cardinals at 16 like all of those ones make sense but for me if i was going to pin my flag to the mast on something i would say I don't think he gets past the Miami Dolphins at number six. We talked last week about the fact that Dolphins have two first round picks and they are first round picks to add impact players. We talked about them potentially needing like a a tight end or a wide receiver and they will be able to get that a little bit later with the 18th pick. I think at six, Go get Parsons, get the leader of your defense for the next 10 years at the very least and watch the impact that has. Kind of agree with you for, and we've talked about my relatively limited knowledge of college football that I saw Micah Parsons going first off the board, but he seems to be sliding on a lot of mock drafts. I mean, again, I mean, if if you're one of those big competitive teams who's lower down in the first round, you're incredibly excited at the thought he might drop. But yeah, it's... um, it's a head scratcher that one. I think I I could see Parsons going ahead of certain in probably most other drafts if it wasn't for so many of these teams picking early on having a specific need for cornerback. But nice to start with certain and Parsons. I think they are probably the two standouts. Which means Phil, you're left to give us the third best defensive prospect in the draft. Who have you gone for? Yeah, look, I think the JB and 
Aldrin have, have kind of covered two of the, the big hitters and I would be surprised not to see one of those go um, as a first defensive player. But I also think Jalen Phillips is a good shout. Um, maybe not top 10. I could see him going 14 maybe to, to Minnesota, something like that. Um, but he's a big physical guy. You know, he's he locks onto the ball. He's got a good presence against both the, the pass and the rush. Um, so I think he's got the physical attributes, but also the the kind of game knowledge as well to to really come in and be that impact player. So, you know, for someone desperately needing an, an edge rusher, I think he's a good good option. I can't see him coming off the board first unless he is, is a defensive player, unless he is somebody's, you know, real number one top of the draft board guy, um, in which case I think we could see someone trade up for him. Um, and the other knock against him, I suppose, is there's a little bit of a medical medical kind of question mark, um, similar to Caleb Farley as well. So, yeah, those two, I think, are going to be two big impact players out of the draft. You know, two ones that if I was a Buccaneer, you know, if I am a Buccaneers fan, um, I'd be happy with, with us taking even one of those if they somehow fell to us to, you know, at 32. But I think the thing with Jalen Phillips is, yeah, he looks great, but he's only looked he only looked great for one season. And I think you may be underplaying that injury concern a little bit the guy retired from football during college because he was hit by a car and then he came back decided he wanted to carry on had a great 2020 season in lieu of Gregory Russo who sat out the season I think arguably for me if you're going for a a boom or bust player Russo feels like the better prospect or the better potential just purely because he's got he's got all those physical traits his pro day didn't do him any any favours, really. If you watched his pro day, he didn't look great. But he sat out a year. I think he's bulked up his frame a little bit, which was a slight on Rousseau that he was a bit skinny for an edge rusher. Still tall and rangy, but didn't quite have the, the power behind him. I think he came back with that after a year out. I, I don't know. Either of those two from Miami, I think, are really great edge rushing prospects. Like, I, I had those listed as potentials to talk about as well not kind of the main ones because I think you're right. I think these are very much, these will be incredible potential cornerstone players in a year or two once they have, and and especially like with Russo, if he have, he's got to get back in following kind of the year off and everything like that, you've got to get to that point where the game, they talk about the game slows down for you and can see everything. I wouldn't be surprised if they went, but I wouldn't be surprised if they went second. But I do think teams, uh, Rob and I in a different conversation that we had on Sunday, talked about it being a copycat league. You see what's successful for one team and you start to copy that. And what was most successful for the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl was stopping Patrick Mahomes by making him run for his life so he could never get properly set or positioned to throw the ball. You want someone coming off that edge that will chase after it and chase after and chase after and make the quarterback uncomfortable. See, I, I think there's a, I'll go back to Aldrin's first point about boom or bust with the draft. Well, edge rushes, rushes generally. I mean, what's Khalil Mack done in Chicago recently, you know, that makes him worth all that draft capital they traded to the Raiders. You know, you wonder what Von Miller will be like um, this season in Denver, you look at, I mean, you know, we, we discussed what news we talk about on the podcast this week and decided that, you know, Jadavian Clowney just didn't make the cut, you know, because how many teams, you know, have probably imagined that they were getting an absolute superstar talent and a real boss. 
and I've got to be honest, it's a real funny one. You, you just mentioned, you know, the 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 Tampa Bay Buccaneers and and what they were able to do with pressure on the quarterback. But I've got to be honest, five years ago, I'd have probably said Sue was in a similar position to these guys as a, as a guy who, you know, maybe not an edge rusher as such, but a disruptor at the line who's just never really quite, you know, lived up to potential until really the, the real twilight of his career. I think with any edge rusher, the margins between success and failure are so fine because they need to be bigger, faster, stronger than the guy they're lined up against, or they're just not effective. And and they need to do that long-term through a career. I will say though, coming back to, to your point, Phil, I think, I think Minnesota feels like a team that, you know, Mike Zimmer prides himself on defense. This is a guy who bizarrely, I think could be out of a job with a bad year. You know, I, I don't think it's gone well for, for Zimmer since obviously the incredible um, occurrences that, that we kind of remember when they played the saints and, you know, they did well. They, you know, for all the things I'm saying that maybe make me sound sound very down on the Vikings, they've actually done pretty well the last few years draft, really finding some absolute superstars with Jefferson. Obviously they've not got any issues at running back or, or quarterback this year, to be fair. So it feels like a year where they go big on defense and Jalen Phillips to them as an edge rusher. Yeah, I can absolutely see that happening. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I look back at the business the Cardinals did getting Chandler Jones for a second round pick, thinking that's got to be one of the best spent second round picks in you know the modern history of the NFL with the difference he made for us. But yeah, maybe someone will reach. I mean, I can't remember which one of you said it, but maybe someone's got one of these guys right up there on, on your board and we see something exciting there, but definitely worthy of mention. So I'll, you know, I've, I've ended up chatting about what you guys have talked about. So I'll keep mine pretty swift. Um, he's already been mentioned, but for me being a Cardinals fan and thinking we should probably go cornerback if we look at needs, I'd looked at Caleb Farley and thought, you know what, this is a guy that, could make a difference and could be a first year superstar. There is of course the doubt about the injuries and the surgeries, particularly with them being back surgeries. You kind of think this is a guy who, you know, might not work out at all. You know, we talk about boom or bust. I mean, this guy is not, you know, touted in the same way that we touted maybe Isaiah Simmons a year ago. You know, when we picked Isaiah Simmons a year ago at eight, we thought we were getting, the Swiss army knife of defenders, you know, everybody called him this guy who could slot in anywhere who for most of the season last year slotted in nowhere. You know, he warmed a lot of benches and drank a lot of Gatorade, frankly. Now for as much as I hope he has a great year too, I think he's got all the physical attributes. I do think that Farley's an interesting one because we need to fill a Patrick Peterson shaped hole. Funnily enough, talking about the Vikings and them needing to improve on defense, but whether it's Farley I don't know. I think you look at JC Horn is probably the one I'd want to bring up. Who's a very different type of cornerback. We're talking about ultimately a tough tackler, you know, somebody who absolutely can mix it with those physical um, wide receivers that you come up against on a Sunday. Um, JC Horn for me probably feels a safer pick, not only because, you know, Caleb Farley comes with those doubts around injury, but also for as much as we're looking for a cornerback, who knows if we're looking for a cornerback one, you know, players that we've bought in and players that we've traded for like Malcolm Butler in free agency that you think, you know, probably is equally 
um, as much of a risk. You know, are we getting a guy who is still at the level where he could be not quite a shutdown corner, but but a well above average corner in this league? Or are we going to find that secondary looking a bit of a mess? Um, so for me, JC Horn, tough tackling, physical, got a lot of attitude. Caleb Farley, the better player, if we imagine that what you're getting is a guy who will be 100% come, you know, 2021 into 22. And, and also, I mean, I'm talking from a Cardinals perspective here about do we take these players? We were just talking, I think, about um, the Lions. And if we imagine we, we follow that scenario I discussed with Aldrin, where, you know, we see the Lions trade down. We see Dallas, you know, nip in and take a cornerback. I mean, will Horn or Farley be be there for the Cardinals at 16? I'm not even sure. Um, I think there is a bit of talk maybe that, you know, you have Davis at linebacker go first round, possibly. Um, you maybe look at players like, I don't know, maybe Asante Samuel Jr. going first round at cornerback as well. But it does feel like the guys we've picked out are very much the key prospects, aren't they? And really much like we did with offensive players, happy to go around our virtual room and say, if we're talking about the top guys on the defensive side of the ball, any other honourable mentions? I think um, the only other guy I would mention is, um, I'm going to try and say his name right, Awusu Koromoa from Notre Dame. He plays linebacker, but at Notre Dame, they have this kind of weird hybrid safety linebacker role. It's like a roving kind of defensive player he's a real talent i think the only the only reason he might slip down the board is because he plays that kind of hybrid role and he's maybe not as bulky and as big as you'd want a linebacker to be he might slip down from teams that don't really know what his best position is but equally he could be you know you talked about simmons and that swiss army knife some some teams get attracted to you know a player with multiple skill positions that they could play so i do think that he could he could be a pick up for somebody maybe later down the draft i think he's a real real talented player and you get value out of him i think it's a great shout and i mean i'm looking at his stats now when i look at draft prospects and they have him at six foot one 215 pounds kind of stats you'd expect to see with a cornerback really isn't it i mean um yeah definitely um definitely a worthy mention so i have two that i'm going to call out uh and one of them i'm definitely going to actually pronounce their name correctly so i'm going to call wyatt herbert uh herb hubert can't even get that one right uh, defensive end from Kansas State, and then Jay Tufale, who uh, defensive tackle from USC. Tufale. I'm going to go out on a limb, even though I do not know how that is pronounced, and say if those letters are pronounced Tufale. T U F E L E. I'm not going to trust you when you said Herbert wrong. Yeah, so. <laughs> I get that right. Um, but they're the two I think I would be most interested in seeing where they land. I think Hubert is being hyped as one of those players who I think is a jack-of-all-trades potential master of none yet. But if you look at kind of his performance in the Senior Bowl practices and in the Senior Bowl itself, if you watch his game, he's kind of all over. One of the things I think we often talked about when we hyped JJ Watt kind of in his prime was how he always knew exactly where to be and he was always involved in the play when it was going on. And I think while Hubert may not be JJ Watt levels of skill, there is like a 
uh, if JJ Watt is Pepsi, Hubert can be Pepsi Max. So I've got two things to pick up on there. You you made a comment and you said JJ Watt in his prime, as if that's somehow in the past and has gone. Um, I think the Red Sea are hoping his prime is ahead in his okay, early sorry, 30s. I, I, I do, I do. So many. For misspeak, what of course I meant was JJ Watt, when we have seen him playing for the Houston Texans, of course, watching him line up in that 99 for the, uh, for the Arizona Cardinals, he's going to be a wrecking ball. I do feel like if we went back two months and asked Rob what he thought of JJ Watt, he might use the terms washed up, too old, too injured, but uh-huh. now he's wearing... Now he's wearing the Cardinals jersey. It's a different kettle of fish. Don't worry, Rob. Signing veterans works out really well. Let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. Copycat league and all of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely there. And I said there were two things I wanted to pick you up on. Also, JB, um, you are famed on this podcast for your use of comparables and metaphors when talking about players. But I think you just suggested that Pepsi Max was the poor substitute to Pepsi, when that is, of course, not the case. It was Pepsi more, oh, no, absolutely maximum not. taste. Pa- maximum cola taste, no sugar. sugar. We're going to have to cut all of this bit how, out. I mean, how much of this are we getting paid for otherwise? <laughs> I was going to say, you know, the, the sponsorship angle that we once dreamed of when we uh, started this podcast has not quite um, hit the heights we Let's expected. Go for the sell. Grab, I mean, grab a can of Pepsi Max today. I, I think I think I was thinking we probably should start, but you know what? You've gone there, PB. And I mean, I'm sure they support the NFL to some degree, so why not? Um, and PB, I mean, look, we have this pointless conversation every week about what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers actually need, um, and we ultimately come to the conclusion that the answer is not really anything at all. Um, in a week where it becomes all the more likely that you're going to end up bringing back Antonio Brown, so another superstar receiver you don't need, um, does the draft hold any interest for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when it comes to defensive players, or is there any other honourable mention? I think it, it obviously it holds interest because it's always you know you're keen to see who you bring in. I don't think there's a, anyone that we need to come in and start like we did last year, you know, with, with Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Whitfield, Whitfield Jr., you know, great picks last year. I don't think there's anyone that we need to come in and, and be amazing like that this year. But then I saw a rumour yesterday that, you know, we're potentially a candidate to trade up, which just seems odd to me. Well, like, I, you know, I still think you you could do with get rid of that bin man at cornerback that you've got, but <laughs> I think he's great. Well, yeah, maybe. I suppose, you know, we could improve corner, arguably, but... I, I don't know. I just can't see it. I could see us trading back, you know, and, and maybe getting some picks in next year's draft or something like that. But to trade up, I, I don't know. I, unless unless we're picking a, a quarterback for the future to sit behind Brady, I can't see us trading up. But you never know. We'll, we'll see what happens. But the, the other prospect I've been looking at, and not so much around the uh, the Bucks, is Christian Barmore, a defensive tackle um, coming out of Alabama. You know, there's he has to improve against the run, I think. He's, he's a definite, you know kind of try and collapse the pocket pass pass rush kind of guy um he's inexperienced he's quite raw but he's a bit of a physical beast i think you know he's he's naturally powerful um he's quick uh one of the mocks i saw saw him go into the um chiefs to line up you know with um is it with, with jones there i think um you know which would be be um you know give them kind of two big pass rush specialists um, and make them a, a real force, you know. So I think he's going to be a late first rounder if he's a first rounder at all. But you know, he's got all the tools to and, and a high ceiling to really, you know, become a Pro Bowl talent. But 
it'll be interesting to see where he goes because there's obviously that element of risk about you know about his inexperience and can he learn you know a bit more about the position I think I was just looking at his stats then six five three ten really quick in short burst I mean for an interior lineman that's exactly what you're after I think there's a lot of traits you can coach there you can't kind of coach those physical attributes so I think he's I know we've not really talked about defensive linemen because well, it's not that glamorous a position and there's not a whole load of splash players I don't think this year but he's yeah he's great I think and I suppose I said I'm not looking at it from a Bucks standpoint but you know if you think we've got Ndamukong Sue who's coming towards the end of his career uh Steve McClendon coming towards the end of his career uh, our other, you know, defensive tackles, uh, Nunez Roches, Raheem Nunez Roches, who's, you know, a backup, you'd say. So, do you know the worry I have is you just said about Tampa Bay Buccaneers players coming to the end of their career? That is a long list, Phil. Like a really long list. Well, Brady's got um, five five years or so in America. Brady's got Brady's, isn't Brady fifty five or something already? I can't remember how old he is. Jeez. Brady. Um, so yeah, we can get excited about the draft and pretend that Tom Brady won't win another Super Bowl next year because all these players could make a difference. And next week, we've been trailing this for a while. We'll throw ourselves into a real draft party mode on the podcast with um, the return of Quiz of the Week. Um, Phil's going to prepare a massive draft special for us all. Um, we'll also be taking our draft um, kind of predictions and flipping those into what we think of the picks that will be made as we start to get into the Thursday and the Friday. There's a lot of exciting things to come. Um, we can say thank you, everyone, for listening. We will speak to you all again in seven days, maybe even eight if we nudge it to the night after the draft. Um, and I'm sure we'll have lots of exciting content to bring you. Thank you ever so much for listening. Bye, everyone. See ya. Take care. This is amazing. Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends. Just before I brought up the number, uh, I'm playing Rory McIlroy golf, and just before I brought up the whole number thing, I got a hole in one. I was so tempted yeah. to go. Grr. Why? Why does anybody play golf on the PlayStation? It's boring enough in real life. I'm better. Also, why, why does anyone play Rory McIlroy golf? Didn't he used to be famous? It, it used to replace it replaced Tiger Woods golf when Tiger Woods first had all his, you know. <laughs>